Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. The State of Recruiting is brought to you by 24-7 Sports and the Horns 24-7 Network of Podcasts. If you like the show, please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast platform of your choice. We also invite you to listen to the other great shows on the Horns 24-7 Network, including The Flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown and The Longhorn Blitz with Jeff Howe and Rod Babers. Thanks for listening. Now on to the show. Welcome back to this week's episode of the State of Recruiting, your weekly Hornish 24-7 recruiting podcast. I'm Mike Roach, and I'm joined, as always, by Nick Harris. And uh, if I sound a little hoarse, it's because uh, we had quite a week at THSCA Coaching School. We will absolutely talk about that. But we have got a supersized show um, for you guys today. I mean, it is it is going to be packed. There's been big news in the college football world. There has been local news on the Texas beat. Uh, we've got a basketball segment for you. We've got uh, an interview with one of our newest employees at 24-7. Um, but we're going to start it off with really the news that kind of rocked the college football world uh, yesterday as we're recording this on, on Thursday afternoon. And Nick, that was uh, the news. Well, shame on me. Before we get into all that, Nick, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing really good. Um... Yeah, there's, uh, we've been out for a couple weeks, but, uh, you know, we're going to make it up to you guys with a pretty big show today. <laughs> this one is going to probably, it may be our longest show ever. Um, so, Nick, the, the news that, that rocked the recruiting world, uh, that Texas and Oklahoma are exploring leaving the Big 12, joining the SEC. Um, I kind of recall, like, yesterday I was just sitting around doing some work, and, um, you know, our Slack channel kind of really picked up with, hey, we're on this Texas OU SEC stuff. And I, you know, anytime I see something like that, I'm like, thinking, well, what are they talking about? And uh, get online and kind of figure out what's going on. And, man, what a big piece of news. And, and for us, you know, covering a school that's involved in it, I think Texas has kind of become the uh, center stage uh, of the college football world along with Oklahoma. Nick, what are your just your initial thoughts on it? Yeah, when I first heard it yesterday, uh, you know, it was, uh, you know, pretty surprising, but in a sense not, uh, because it, everybody's been talking for the last five to six years about, you know, how a major realignment could be happening, you know, early this decade. Um, and now it looks like it could be possibly happening sooner than we think. Uh, you know, the Big 12 uh, media rights and uh, after the 2024 football college uh, football season, um, but, you know, this could happen much sooner if, uh, you know, Texas and Oklahoma can agree to a buyout with the Big 12. And I don't want to get all technical, you know, with media buyouts and, and TV contracts and all of that stuff. But the possibility of a, you know, almost a super conference in the SEC 
is really interesting. And, um, you know, adding Texas and Oklahoma uh, into the SEC, making a 16-team conference, it would vastly change the college football landscape because obviously the Big 12 would need to add teams. You know, where do, where do conferences like the AAC or even the Pac-12 come into play when it comes to that? So there, there's going to be a lot of moving and shifting if, you know, this would ends up being the case. The most fascinating thing to me is this news – legitimately broke as Jimbo Fisher was walking to the podium. And if you read most national reports, I was reading Pete Thamel today. I read a couple of other ones and most of them indicate they believe the leak came from the Texas A&M site as they are from, as, as the, as the, I'm sorry, as the Texas A&M side tried to leak it to kind of maybe disrupt any momentum or any movement of it. And if that's true, I think that's a major major miscalculation by Texas A&M um, for, for a couple of reasons. One, for it to break before, you know, anybody really got to talk about Texas A&M as a team coming off of a top five finish and, uh, you know, a, a New Year's Six Bowl victory and a really exciting time in their program. And all of a sudden, as Jimbo Fisher's going to the podium, that this news is it, now we're talking about Texas and Oklahoma. I think that that's a miscalculation. I think it's a miscalculation that they felt leaking it would stop anything because, you know, this stuff always, always, always comes down to money. And I, I don't understand where they thought, you know, we can get the votes to stop adding two blue blood programs in college football and the money that would come with them. Um, Remember, I think like I've seen it in in a number of reports, Chip Brown wrote about it on our site, but they don't look for cable boxes anymore. They're looking at subscriptions. Who's buying ESPN plus who's subscribing to this and that. And when you add the fan base sizes of, you know, the size of Texas and Oklahoma, I think it really, obviously that's a game changer to what you can get in subscriptions and and things of that nature. So I'm fascinated at the effect on A&M because it looks like if everything is correct, that they leaked it, it looks like they attempted to make a power play. Um, and look, if it ends up, I don't know the ins and outs of this stuff, and I don't want to know it. This is not the level of people I talk to. I don't talk to the decision makers. And um, I think, you know, for me, this stuff gets a little tired head. So I don't know what could potentially stop it. But I think that they have really risk making Texas look like they are still the power position for just waltzing into the sec and not being able to stop it. Um, I understand that what they're trying to do is make it look like Texas is begging and will get left out in the cold. But if you look at the alternative and maybe the alternative is Texas and Oklahoma go to the big 10 and then the big 10 becomes a conference that is um, on par with the sec. You know, I, I think the sec at this point wants to dominate college football in a way that nobody ever has before. And to me, I just don't see, how this gets voted down. Yeah, they're going to have to, you know, cook up three more no's in the SEC from, you know, different SEC ADs. And, you know, when the news was first breaking yesterday, I was just trying to, you know, kind of think in my head, what would be some, you know, almost for sure no's. Obviously, Texas A&M would be a no. I was thinking Missouri, but then Eli Drinkowitz went up to the podium at SEC Media Days and basically said, bring it on, and even had a a joking comment um, uh, with the the SEC commissioner, uh, Sankey, about, you know, will Hornstown be a 15-yard penalty? So, I mean, it looks like Missouri's on board from, you know, all indications that Drinkowitz is given. Um, but you also look at, you know, 
Arkansas, LSU, and you always kind of have to factor in a random no from somebody. I think it might be close, but I think Texas may end up winning out in the, in the end. I think Oklahoma is in regardless if, if they try to make this push. I don't think anyone really, you know, strikes that down. I don't even think A&M would strike that down. Um, the biggest question would be Texas, and it would really be interesting if Texas does get left out in the cold, but I just don't see that happening. It's going to be an interesting next 12 months. That's for that's for dang sure. Again, I don't I, – I, the details are tough for me to get into and really read into, but here's two things that you said that, that stick out to me right away. Um, for one, I'm not sure – I get it, Missouri. I get Missouri might be against it. They've got bad feelings going back to the Big 12, Arkansas, old rivalries, things like that. I just think they're going to be enough pressure from the rest of the league money-wise to get the job done. I mean, Eli Drinkwitz made the comment. He doesn't necessarily make the decision, but I think that that's the spirit we're looking at. Um, The other thing that really sticks out to me is I don't believe that this deal gets done with just one school. It's going to have to be both schools. Um, you know, I think, I, I think this kind of goes to when Crystal Conte was hired, you know, there was a lot of talking about, we need a visionary to kind of take us into the next, um, next step, next phase of college football realignment and all that. And I think that this news probably leaked a lot earlier than anybody wanted it to, but it's clear they've been working on this forever. And it's clear that Del Conte is the guy to give it. What really sticks out to me is if Texas is going to make this move, if they are going to make a move away from the big 12, it can't be to me to the PAC 12. It can't be to the ACC. I could probably say, okay, the big 10, because there are enough programs there. But to me, if you're Texas and you have the brand that you think you are and think you can be, this is the only move that makes sense is to go to the sec and play with the big boys. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Um, there was a point I was going to make uh, kind of vanishing on me, but yeah, yeah. Texas big brand, pro, uh, big brand, uh, big brand program, uh, twisting my words. Um, and they're some of the biggest brand programs in the country are playing in the sec. And uh, it, it's, it's going to be interesting, but something I did want to bring up is the basketball side of things. Imagine being Scott drew and bill self, right? you built two monster programs in the big 12 and it looks like your conference could be absolutely destroyed in the next, you know, three to four years. Um, you know, I find that really interesting and especially considering that, you know, SEC has picked up quite a bit in basketball play over the course of the last five years, um, you know, and staying par almost at the big 12 basketball is also going to have a, a huge factor into this, but it's also kind of proving that everything falls under what happens on the football field. Uh, and it kind of proves how big of a giant and a media giant that football is starting to become. So it, it's, it's going to affect a lot of sports, but it, it's because of football. At the end of the yeah. Day. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, you know, what, what really sticks out with that kind of the basketball part is it, to me, basketball is a much easier sport to, I mean, it's, it's one of those sports that like, the, I don't feel like the conference matters as much as it does in football. There already is a 64 team tournament at the end of the season. So it's not like, well, being in the wrong conference could keep me from getting into the tournament. You know, I mean, there are a lot of mid-majors who have turned into national basketball powers um, that aren't in the greatest conferences. So I'm not sure it's going to affect basketball as much as it would in football. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, 
basketball is easily probably the number two sport generating revenue in colleges and it gets little to no consideration anytime there's realignment. I mean, it is specifically a, a football business. The other thing that's funny to me is the political movements in state um, to, to like, you know, all the legislature guys who are uh, graduates of other big 12 schools wanting to really rally right now. And it's like, to me, I don't know. I mean, I guess Texas is a state school. And so there is a bit of oversight from the government on it. But to me, the government, it, you know, what conference they play sports in should not be a political decision, in my opinion. I, I just think it's uh, it's insane. So on the recruiting side, I think, um, you know, just talking to a number of kids last night, it would obviously be a, a, a big hit. Um Kids want to play in the big in the SEC. You know, somebody on our board said, well, Texas has been selling Big 12, Big 12, Big 12 all this time. And I said, I'm not sure, sure they have. I mean, I it's not, not something I've ever heard. I think that Texas sells a lot and they've got to sell around the Big 12 at times. But nobody at Texas is like, we play in the Big 12 and that's where you should want to come play. Um, adding that extra component of SEC to the to the recruiting pitch is only going to help Texas moving forward with those recruits. Yeah. It's never been selling the big 12. It's been about selling playing in the state of Texas. And I, you know, that's, I think part of the, the threat that Texas A&M sees here is because there's a lot of recruiting that's going to kind of go into this. And that's why I'm kind of curious, you know, which commissioners would vote no, just because of the recruiting landscape in the state of Texas. I think recruiting is going to be a big, you know, hand hand in that battle. Um, you know, Texas A&M has been able to sell recruits on the fact of, hey, come play in Texas and come play in the SEC. We're the only school that can offer that. And Texas coming into that picture, I mean, if I was A&M, I'd be worried as well. You know, that's another in-state school that'd be playing in your same conference. And they, they would now have that to sell as well. So it, it, like you said, and I said this on Twitter yesterday, I've never heard from a recruit yeah, Texas is selling me on playing in the Big 12, you know, one of the best conferences in the country. I've never heard that. It's always been playing in the state of Texas, playing for the, you know, flagship university in the state of Texas, something along those lines. But very rarely do I hear conference pride coming out of recruits, really. Yeah, so um, I, I just got off the phone with Evan Stewart just before we, we got on the air and was talking to him about some things. And, I mean, he was basically like, look, when is this happening? Because uh, he's like, if it happened while I was in school or, or like, when I could take advantage of it, uh, that would be a game changer in my recruitment with Texas and things like that. So, um, obviously, it, it's a big hit for kids. I think it's, as I said, something Texas has usually had a battle against. And we'll definitely see. I mean, um, if you want a more detailed breakdown of the the ongoing, you know, push for this, the flagship with Taylor Estes and Chip Brown, it, they've done an, an episode on it um, this week. That's, that's going to be big. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about it in another episode with uh, with Blake Brockermeyer that, that came out today. So we'll get a little more into the nuts and bolts of it, but just from a, a 30,000 foot view of, of a guy that doesn't really like to get in the weeds on realignment talk, it's obviously fascinating. And, and, you know, for us positions us really at the forefront of reporting on college football for, you know, our personal careers. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to definitely play a hand in recruiting and recruiting is going to be a big part of this, uh, you know, change over the next two to three years. All right, we'll, um, we'll move on to a little more local. Um, at last night at midnight, Texas lost a commitment from Jalen Gilbo. This is um, something that I would say has probably gone back and forth over the last two months pretty heavy. There have been times where Gilbo's been, you know, kind of on the cliff and times where they've talked him off. Um, 
earlier this week, Nick, you were in the room with me where we were coaching school and I got a phone call that basically said, hey, this is going to happen uh, this week from somebody on Gilbo's side. Um, and then, you know, talked to a source on the Texas side later in the week who thought, you know, we, we talked and thought we had a pretty good conversation. We think things are okay for now, but, you know, obviously anytime a guy's gone back and forth like this, it it, it really probably worries you. And so um, when he did ultimately make it, his decommitment last night, um, you know, I think it, 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 it was kind of indicative of, of that, that just he had been back and forth so many times. I talked to Gilbo this morning um, and he said that Texas is definitely not out of it. Uh, he's still looking at maybe coming to the barbecue on the 30th. And I, you know, all that said, I, I still think he probably ends up at TCU. That's probably the safe bet at this point. Um, but I know talking to a source of Texas today, they were, they were disappointed by the decommitment. They thought they had everything kind of resolved. Yeah, this is uh, definitely a decommitment that hurts. He was the longest standing commit in the class and the only one left over from, you know, the Tom Herman era. But, uh, you know, Terry Joseph had come into the picture and, you know, was able to build that relationship with Gilbo and, you know, pretty much made him a commitment under Sark staff just as much as he was under Herman. So, um, this, it's going to be really interesting how it shakes out with corners in this class. Um, you know, the only offer left on the table that seems, you know, like a legitimate possibility is Denver Harris. And if they miss on Denver, then that just leaves Austin Jordan as uh, corners in this class for right now. So they're definitely going to have to make some, you know, evals, whether it be this summer or in the fall and send out some late offers and in, in hopes of, you know, getting that three to four corner class that they're looking for. Uh, Mike ha might have a better idea as far as numbers uh, when it comes to corners in the class but they're definitely going to start looking at some more um and uh, you know if, if gilbo you know is keeping his options open to the fact where he still keeps texas in play and you know doesn't turn around and make another commitment in the next month or so then you know maybe texas can get back in that race but it, it's definitely going to be interesting how the corner situation shakes out over the course of the next uh, you know six to seven months what's interesting to me about it is um you know i don't think gilbo ever felt totally comfortable with this staff. And, and part of that was he had committed to the previous staff. And I think he was looking for, um, you know, how that relationship was going to develop with this staff. And I don't know that it's necessarily a knock on the staff. It's just a case of, you know, he didn't vibe with this group as well as he vibed with the other group. So, um, you know, when that sort of thing happens, I think that, um, you know, you kind of look at, what are those reasons? And, and the person, you know, he committed to Jay Valai while at Texas. I think that, um, you know, for me, from what I've heard, Jay Valai and Terry Joseph are two totally different people. Valai is a really high energy guy. Um, and, you know, Terry Joseph is way more laid back. And so for some people that works, you know, I've heard Denver Harris really likes Terry Joseph because that is more his style where I, you know, I think for Gilbo, he really loved the energy Valai brought. So um, I think he tried to his credit uh, to make it work as much as possible. It just, uh, it, you know, it ultimately ended up not working. So um, we will kind of see where it goes from there and, and what other options they have from there. All right, Nick, um, before we get into coaching school, we're going to take a second to talk to Cooper Patagna. Cooper is uh, one of our new employees. He's been hired as a, a national recruiting analyst who's going to help out with rankings. Cooper has a, a recruiting background working in departments at Michigan 
uh, Alabama and Oregon and, and Washington over his time. So he's got some familiarity with guys on the Texas staff that he talks about. He's got some familiarity with Malik Murphy that he talks about. And, uh, you know, if you read the Horns 24-7 board around the time of uh, Steve Sarkeesian's uh, hire, you'll know that I was a really big fan of this guy and was hoping he would be included in the staff. So um, even though he wasn't, I'm really glad he was, he's included in our staff here 24 seven. So I hope you guys enjoy this interview with Cooper Patagna. We hope you're enjoying this week's episode of the state of recruiting. We'll be back with the second half after a word from our sponsors. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast okay picture this it's friday afternoon when a thought hits you i can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or i can hop into my all-new hyundai santa fe and hit the road With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And now joining us on this week's edition of the State of Recruiting Podcast, uh, if you're a reader of Horns 24-7, you've read this name many times because I wrote it many times during the Texas staff search uh, under Steve Sarkeesian, a guy that whose uh, reputation preceded him even before I met him, I was a big fan, uh, and now part of our team here at 24-7 Sports, uh, one of our new national analysts is Cooper Patagna. Cooper, thanks for joining us today. Appreciate it, Mike. Thanks for having me. Uh, congratulations on the on the move, uh, the move to this side of the media. I think it's uh, it's always kind of funny, right? Because you know you you've gone through your career, and I'm sure you've worked with with guys in the media and bounced stuff off them as, as we see it. But there's always that line, right, that kind of divides us and them. And um, uh, now moving across that line, you know, how does it how does it feel to be on this side of it? Well, it feels good, you know. First official day is Monday, but, you know, I'm excited. Obviously, we, we had a couple of calls and uh, been working with Steve Whitfong and, and Chris Singletary, who we just recently announced as well as a national recruiting analyst and, and Gabe Brooks, uh, who obviously everybody's familiar with in, in Texas. So I'm excited. You know, it's a big undertaking. It's a great opportunity for me. 
Um, and I think I'm just really excited about the opportunity to get back to the kind of the basics and watching football and uh, being a part of this recruiting rankings process and, and talking with you guys that, you know, I've had a great opportunity to work with, uh, with a lot of different guys uh, in different regions. So uh, it's exciting. I'm ready to learn. And it's a new challenge for me. So uh, very much looking forward to it. So you can dispel, maybe you can dispel some myths for us on this podcast because we were having fun at Big 12 Media Days the other day because Gary Patterson, TCU, decided to call out rankings and how coaches don't care about what the rankings guys write and all these things. And I know you guys put together your own boards when you were in the business yourself, but I mean, how much did kind of our rankings and those things go into, uh, how much did they come into play for you, for you on that side? Yeah, I, I think they do in some respect. Every every program and every organization is going to be different how how they view that. Um, you know, but that's a, a great question. I would say certainly in terms of the initial process, in terms of the identification and evaluation process, I think that the first thing that you're going to do is a lot of different sources for how you get your information. Um, but how you rack and stack those guys, it, it's easy for us to get on 247, see the top 250 players or by the position rankings and watch those guys in that order. Um, and I think there's enough respect there, especially from the team side and, and where I've been in the last handful of years, that that's one of the ways that you're starting. That's one of the first things that you're doing. So I think everybody looks at it differently. You know, at Washington, uh, those rankings really didn't hold a lot of water at, at, at Oregon and some of the different stops in terms of our initial uh, process and identifying guys that certainly does. So um, I think it just really, really depends on where you are. One of the things I think that you bring to the table and that that is really going to help strengthen our rankings is you've been with, you've been in a bunch of different scenes, right? Um, and I'm going to have you run down your resume for us in just a second here. But I think you've also been with a bunch of different types of coaches and been looking for a few different types of things with those head coaches you've worked for. For instance, I mean, you worked for Chris Peterson, who's, I mean, known as probably one of the better evaluators ever at the head coaching position. And um, I'm interested to kind of just get your take on how he was different from some of the other guys you worked with in, um, in, during your course of your, your college career there. Yeah, for sure. You know, I think for Pete, I think a, a lot of his secret sauce was what's between the ears and what's in the heart. Um, and, you know, I know how that sounds, but obviously these guys got to be able to play between the white lines. So obviously there's what you see on tape evaluating those guys. And then just making sure those guys are the right fit from a cultural standpoint. And that's really where the homework is done. Um, and I think in the evaluation process, people take for granted. You know, it's easily easy to throw on a highlight. Now the work of doing a three, four game, six game cut up uh, throughout the season and really tracking these guys and asking the right questions. You know, that's that's a totally different component. Um, and that takes a lot of work. And, you know, Pete's dedication to that uh, was always something that I thought was really special. Um, and for us, when you're splitting hairs on a lot of these guys, it really kind of comes down to that process. So I think he did a really good job just making sure we're always asking the right questions. You know, I mean, like football, it's not a science, it's an art form in terms of the evaluation process. So um, I think every year it evolves and making sure that we were looking in the mirror and making sure we're doing everything that we needed to do to keep up with the times. You talked about what's in the what's in the heart and what's in the head. Um, I mean, that's basically what we talk about when we say mental evals. How do you how do you go about that? I mean, is that something of I just got to get this kid in front of me on campus and talk to him and just kind of see how I feel when when we throw some scenarios at him? I mean, the the mental evals has got to be the toughest part of the process, doesn't it? 
Yeah, it definitely is. Um, you know, I think you're taking inventory of that at every exposure that you get. So we always talk about, you know, these live exposures and, you know, seeing a guy in a, in a spring evaluation, fall evaluation process is important on a couple of different levels, not only from what they can do athletically, but how they interact, how they interact with their teammates, how they interact with the coaching staff. Um, a lot of that's being taken into account, even on unofficial and official visits, um, you know, the prospect is being evaluated and same with their, their family members and their decision makers at every part of the process. Um, there's inventory being taken. So, um, you know, that's, that's, like I said, that was a big part of the process. It's not a big part of the process for everybody, but what you find is, you know, these guys really tell you who you, who they are, uh, throughout the process. You just, you got to make sure you're listening. I thought, I, I think I read, a, I think it was in the Patriot way, which is a book I read a long time ago about Bill Belichick's process of building the Patriots. He talked about um, getting feedback from the guy who drove the van from the airport to the, to the uh, facility of like the draft prospects or the free agent prospects. And how did these guys act when they were in the van and things like that? And I think that, you know, like you said, they're being evaluated in every little type of thing. So um you know, I always tell kids, hey, when you get off the plane for your official visit, the evaluation process starts then. And if you act a fool in the car, they're probably going to hear about that when they get to the get to the place or if you're, you know, you're talking crazy or something. So I think that's so important to kind of, you know, for kids to remember the uh, it's 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 all you're always being evaluated in that way. Um, I think for me, uh, what's really really uh impressive about you is just kind of you know your your eye for talent and um one guy that i know that you've uh you've uh, evaluated over time that texas fans will have interest in and and is a guy that i bounced some opinions off you on was malik murphy uh the quarterback commit i, I think the book on malik is you know obviously insane amounts of talent physically um still has a lot to do when it comes to you know development but you know how how close were you to Malik during the process or I guess how much did you ever talk to him and can you give us I mean obviously the physical evaluation but any insight on his mental evaluation yeah you know I I haven't talked to to Malik personally you know I know we recruited him initially in that process and then obviously he committed uh, to Texas a little bit later on but um, you know obviously one of the more talented prospects at the position in the entire country and him being from California was definitely a guy uh, that we were exposed to at Oregon. Um, and look with him, I think it's, you know, really that, that mental part we talk about, especially the, the um, really what it takes to play that position and play it at a high level. That's going to be really important. That's what it's going to come down to with Malik, you know, because Malik, when you watch him on film, now there's only a five games size from last season. You know, there's not a lot there from a production standpoint when you watch him on high school tape and high school tape alone. Now, when he's doing these combine and camp circuits, you know, there's nobody that looks better than Malik Murphy. And strictly from an arm talent standpoint, it kind of reminds me of Joe Milton a little bit when, when I was at Michigan and we took Joe, you know, from Olympia down in Orlando, Florida. You know, it was a guy that was six, four and a half, had 10 and a half inch hands uh, and had a little bit of a presence around him. But uh, I think Malik, from an arm ta talent standpoint, it's it's effortless. You know, I think it's more about playing the game. And I think for Malik, he just needs reps, you know, even from a confidence standpoint. Um, but if you're Texas, you know, you don't question that at all. I mean, anytime you can get a quarterback 
of that caliber arm talent with that size and his athleticism within the pocket and still being able to extend plays uh, outside the pocket. That's something you take a chance on uh, 10 out of 10 times. So it's an extremely high ceiling from Malik Murphy. And I would say a low four. There's just a lot unknown. That's not really an indictment on Malik. There's just a, there's not a, excuse me, there's a lot that we don't know right now about Malik Murphy. Uh, and when I say that, that really comes down to him just playing more on the football field. So I'm excited to see that really going into the senior year. I think there's a lot of people who said like he's really raw mechanically and stuff. And I don't see that. And I've seen him in a couple of up close situations with his trainer. And I know he's trained with, uh, you know, with Danny Hernandez forever. Who's, who's a pretty notable California trainer. Um, I don't see him as raw and I, and I would love your take on this. I see him as inexperienced more than anything, but like, um, you know, when you look at just the release, it's pretty clean. I mean, obviously there's, there's probably a little bit to clean up in it, but it's not where you see some of these guys who are athletes playing quarterback that really need to retool everything they do. Like you said, I think his is just more live game bullets than, than anything. Yeah, I would agree with that 110%. You know, like raw from a from a standpoint of being inexperienced, I think you're absolutely correct. And, you know, it's reps with him. Like I said, you know, you know the biggest thing it, with that is that's just a small sample size. You know, he needs to go out there. He needs to get reps. Uh, but in terms of looking at him and the clay, the athletic foundation that he has, there's a lot there. And that's obviously what, what Texas uh, and the rest of the country was intrigued with. It sounds like you guys are going through one heck of a storm down there yeah, where you're at. Every day. Yeah. Um, I, I interested in your thoughts on, um, you know, when you look at it, you seem like a pretty data-driven guy. And um, we talk about our our recruiting process all the time is, is more and more going towards verified athleticism, numbers in track and field, numbers in, that we can measure more than anything. How important is that to you over the quote-unquote eyeball test? That is, uh, it's critical. That's always been a really big part of um, the type of evaluator that I've been. And, um, you know, like I I call it my football DNA, but but my football DNA was born out of, you know, Alabama. That's where I got my start. You know, I was an intern there um, and that was it, you know, so size, speed, athleticism. Um, So it starts there. There's obviously a lot of uh, different critical factors that you look on depending at the position, Um, but the height, weight, speed, you know, for me individually uh, is a big part of the process. So um, that's something, especially the data, like they have to be able to play football first and foremost. So when you look at um, the body of work, right? So yeah, I'm sorry. Sorry, Cooper. I didn't mean to cut you off there. I think we had a a skip in the zoom. When you look at, like you were looking at Malik Murphy's passing numbers um, and, and you say he's thrown for this, he's done that. Obviously, if you watched Sarah last year, there was a lot Malik needed to clean up, but there was also not a lot around him. How much can you factor in, you know, kind of the talent around a guy like that and uh, and, and some of the challenges he's facing that he can't necessarily control? Yeah, I and mean, I think that's that's a lot, right? So you got to understand, we used to call it the how, the what, and the why. You know, how are they doing something against what competition? What are they doing? And why are they doing it, which is what we talked about in the mental makeup internally, what, what really makes him tick, um, you know, but um, I think with, with Malik in regards to him, um, you know, like in, in anybody, but especially on a quarterback, you're looking at, okay, what can this guy do? First and foremost, that's what we need to figure out. What does this guy bring to the table and what does he bring to our team and how does he add value? So you're looking at that and the first thing and first exposure you're going to watch is probably going to be the highlight tape. And then from there, 
you're going to get into a cut up. So you're watching Malik Murphy. I'm going to watch five games that he played from last season. And I'm going to watch all balls thrown. Okay. And then you got, you get in the combine um, camp tape. And, and, and that becomes a little bit of the body of work as, as well. How these guys tested, what, what is their multi-sport data? What is their track and field data? All of that uh, are supplemental data points to the process, but with the tape really being uh, the most critical part of that process. And obviously with the quarterback position, the most prominent position on the field, the mental makeup and the cognitive ability of how these guys process is going to be critical as well. But all of that, um, is important. They're all important. Um, and, and that's why you have those data points uh, to kind of make sure you're going through that process to make, validate the way you feel about a player or maybe ask some questions that uh, didn't come up the first time around. You, uh, you, you said you interned at, you graduated from LSU, you interned at Bama, you uh, were in, you know, big roles in departments at Michigan, Oregon, and Washington, which gives you some crossover with this Texas staff. Um, really, I think the guy you worked with most there was PK. Um, we, you know, we don't know a ton about PK, obviously, other than his on the field resume. I don't think he came in with this uh, sterling reputation as a recruiter, but it seems like the guys he knows he wants, he kind of goes all out for him. What can you tell us about him as, as an evaluator and as a recruiter? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I mean, he definitely has a profile that he's looking for. And, and I'll say this. Pete Kukowski is one of the best football minds that I've, I've had the pleasure of being around uh, for what it's worth. Um, and as good as a football coach as he is, he's a better person, you know, so for what that's worth, I'll say that first and foremost. Um, but as an evaluator, uh, in terms of what he's looking for, in terms of the edge presence, um, there's definitely a profile. Uh, and I think we we're fortunate and I think we upgraded when we were at Washington, you know, a guy that unfortunately had to medically retire was a guy named Leatu Latu uh, from Sacramento, was an edge guy. Um, that was it. That was a profile of the type of guy that we we're looking for. And that was a guy that could do a lot of different things. Uh, really looks like a 43-4-3-5 technique, but as a guy who can play in a 3-4 is multiple enough uh, and drop in coverage and rush the passer and play the run. So um, I think length, first and foremost, I think you talk about like that athletic foundation. Um, really these guys that have something to grow into and continue to develop. And that's such a developmental position as well. You almost want a guy that has upside day one when he comes on the campus and still has a lot to learn about that position rather than a guy that's really polished and maybe a little bit more limited and a little bit more maxed out. So um, hopefully that helps. I mean, he's looking for what everybody else is looking for. The, the hard part is those premium pass rushers are extremely hard to find. But the good thing about Texas is Got a, got a lot of guys walking down, walking around there with a lot of length that can run. Um, so PK is in a really good position from a recruiting standpoint and from a geographical geographic standpoint to take advantage of that. I'm kind of on a mission to turn all six foot five power forwards uh, who think they're going to make it to the NBA. Like, hey, man, just come rush the passer. You'll make a lot more money, you know. <laughs> be a lot more entertaining for sure yeah for sure um before we get out of here cooper uh and obviously we'll have you back and you just started this week i mean we're actually recording this before your official start date but it'll be out the week you start um you know what are you i i guess um what what are your your primary duties i would guess are going to be just basically to drill into the evaluation side and make sure our rankings are the best they can be um you know what are you really we talked a lot about the data and the verified athleticism but is there a couple of things you know you when i look at a high school tape i really want to see this this and this 
Yeah, you know, I think it's it's more exposure points. Like, I I know it sounds boring, but that's really what it is. Like, even watching tape right now, you know, the guys that I feel the best about, like I talk about clean players, you know, there's a process and an individual process that I go through and our teams can go through in terms of, okay, where are these guys at from a height, weight, speed standpoint? Uh, where are they at from a measurement standpoint? Obviously, the more you do, the more versatile you you can become as an athlete. So that's on the field in terms of position versatility. Uh, and then multi-sport data is important as well and making sure we have eyes on that. Um, and then the track and field data is a big, a, a big point for us as well. So um, I think all those points and then, you know, tapping into guys like you, Brendan Huffman, Blair Angulo, Greg Biggins, you know, those guys are unbelievable in terms of their ability um, really to kind of catalog these guys throughout the recruitment and get a better understanding for where these guys are at um, from seeing them live and in, in person. Um, and that's going to be different for me. You know, I, I, I was um, never able to go out in person other than these guys coming to camp and working out for us to kind of see these guys live. So I'm really excited about that aspect of it. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I really am. I'm, I'm thrilled to be working with such a great team and really excited to, uh, to get to work. All right. Well, Cooper, tell us, uh, tell everybody where they can find you on Twitter. Yeah. Change my uh, Twitter handle today. So it's C Patagna, uh, two, four, seven. So pretty straightforward. I'm going to be doing some stuff on Instagram too. Same handle. Um, so hopefully you guys like that stuff and get some feedback on all that stuff. That'd be great. All right. Well, thanks for your time, man. And we'll, we'll for sure have you back maybe during, during fall and after the year, we'll talk about, you know, the way this Texas class shapes up. Sounds good. All right, Mike. Appreciate you, man. All right, and we want to thank Cooper Patagna for coming back and uh, or for coming on and giving us uh, giving us a really good interview and, and some really interesting talk about the evaluation process. Um, one thing you'll hear, and Nick, you weren't on the interview, so um, it'll be a surprise to you if you listen back. I apparently got him at about the worst time of a thunderstorm in New Orleans, so every few seconds there's just these loud crashes of thunder um, and, and just rattling through his room. So uh, we do apologize about that, but we can't control the weather. Um, Nick, <clears throat> my voice is still a little hoarse. Uh, we had a heck of a time uh, the last couple of days at Texas High School Coaches Association uh, Conference. Um, it was uh, it was my first coaching school. It was your second, I guess. Um, but your first with the network. Just kind of, um, I don't know, what were a couple highlights of the weekend for you? Yeah, I thought, I thought it was a really interesting week. Um, what really uh, stood out to me uh, over the course of the week was, you know, the amount of um, coaches that were there, not only at the high school level, but at the college level. It looked, it seemed like every time we were turning around, we were seeing a different Texas assistant uh, or a different, you know, Alabama assistant. There were some, you know, TCU assistants, Missouri assistants. I mean, those assistants from everywhere across the country and then head coaches as well. Every head coach in the state of Texas, um, I think except for Gary Patterson was there. Um, you also had Nick Saban that came in on, on the last day and gave a, you know, a Q&A session. And uh, also kind of branching other to over uh, branching over to other sports, uh, you know, Vic Schaefer, the head women's basketball coach at Texas, gave a you know pretty good lecture and, and speech and was able to connect with some high school coaches. But, you know, overall, this was a really good experience for these college coaches and, you know, even Texas college coaches to come to this conference, connect with these high school coaches, you know, at the ground groundwork level and, um, you know, build relationships from the ground up and, you know, really be able to connect these these people in person. So I think the Texas staff got a lot out of it, you know, in talking to, you know, other high school coaches throughout the week. I think, um, you know, they're able to, you know, build that relationship 
relationship in person. I think that's going to be incredibly important, you know, for the uh, first two years of the Sarkeesian era, whether you're in the Big 12 or the SEC, it doesn't matter. You're still going to have those relationships with the, you know, Texas high school coaches. And, you know, I think these first three days, you know, in San Antonio, um, being able to connect with them in person, unlike they've anything they've been able to do in the first seven months they've been on the job. I think that was incredibly important for the staff. Yeah, I think, um, you know, for me, like you said, the access to college coaches that we got, I, for me personally, the access to high school coaches is incredible and uh, get to see a lot of our favorite guys down there. Um, we spent some late nights out. Uh, Monday night was a rough night for yours personally. Um, I don't uh, typically go that hard, but, you know, I was around some people and uh, ended up in a bar at, at 1 a.m., probably yelling to talk to people because the music was loud. And as a result, my voice is still um, in this shape. So uh, I, I think it's all right. You know, we'll, we, we could do that once a year. And, and I think we got a lot out of it. I mean, uh, just from the from the aspect of what are the coaches reactions to the new Texas staff to, you know, the recruiting scoop we picked up while we were there, some of the uh, just gossip you hear while you're there and, and some of the new connections you get to make. I think all the way around, it was a really great time. Uh, San Antonio was an awesome host. I think it's an inc like an incredible spot for it. I know it bounces back between San Antonio and Houston. And um, in two years, it'll be in Houston. So I guess we'll see how it is there. I've heard it's it's a little more spread out. But I thought San Antonio was a perfect setup for where they had everything. Yeah, I agree. I was in, uh, I was at the coaching school two years ago in Houston. And I prefer the San Antonio one, you know, just a lot more personally. Um, you know, it, it, it keeps it, you know, downtown and man, it's, I, I've been telling this story to just kind of some friends and, you know, some family this week. I was like, it was crazy being able to, you know, walk down, you know, some random street in downtown San Antonio at 1 2 o'clock in the morning. Every restaurant is out of food because the coaches have sold everything out and there's just kind of coaches on scooters everywhere. It was a, it was an interesting time. That's for sure. It's, especially at the, the late night stuff. Yeah. So uh, I can't remember. You weren't with me, I don't think, um, Sunday night when I was walking back to the hotel. I think it was just me and uh, and uh, Washington State Director of On-Campus Recruiting, Marco Regalado, former high school coach, uh, walking back towards the hotels. But there was like a period where we saw like big name head coaches riding scooters down the street, uh, swerving in and out of traffic. And I was like, somebody's going to die here. So uh, I think even Phil Bennett in his lecture said, hey, guys, stay off those scooters. So, um, yeah, it was uh, it was quite a night. Nick, you did not succeed at getting me on a scooter. I told you from the beginning that was probably not going to happen. I, uh, I had multiple scooter rides myself. Mike is missing out. Y'all need to spam the, the, the mailbag next week with Mike ride a scooter. <laughs> Yeah, I look, man, I just I don't have great balance. Uh, I'm kind of old. So like, I, I feel like it could kill me. Um, all right, Nick, it has also been quite an exciting week in Texas basketball. Um, we're not going to dive into it, you and I, but you've got something here with Brandon Jacobs of 24-7 Sports. Uh, you guys are going to talk about it. So we're going to go to that interview now. And now we're going to welcome in Brandon Jenkins from our uh, basketball side of things here on 24-7 Sports. He does a fantastic job, uh, not only covering the state of Texas, but the entire country uh, in our uh, national hoop scene. So uh, how's it going today, Brandon? Man, I am perfect. How about yourself? Doing pretty good. Hey, we're going to go ahead and dive right into it. Uh, we're going to start with Arterio Morris. Um, first 2022 commitment 
uh, for Texas, uh, committed last week. I believe it is. I don't know. Tom's kind of – I'm losing track of time these days. Uh, five-star, first five-star guard that Texas has been able to land since Andrew Jones. Let's first talk about how Texas was able to make this happen. Uh, he decommitted from Memphis in January. What happened from that point to Texas landing him last week? Absolutely. Um, first things first, I mean, the hiring of Chris Beard, um, that's definitely the one of the more obvious uh, – obvious things that have that has taken place. I'm sure if Chris Beard never got that job, you wouldn't see Arterio Morris in his Texas uniform. But I think him committing to Texas, um, I think last Saturday, I think that was just a collective effort by the staff. Obviously Chris Beard did a great job, but um, I think Jaron Tower was the was the main reason why Arterio Morris um, could possibly be in a Longhorns uniform next fall. Um, just he Jaron Howard, when he was at Kansas, him and Bill Self were the first to offer and recruit Arterio and Jaren's really built that great relationship with Arterio since his freshman year at Kimball High School. And I think that meant a lot to him and the people around him, just the loyalty um, that they have shown over the years. And um, that's how they were able to get it done. And then obviously, you know, Chris Beard, um, Jordan Malagai and um, Rodney Terry have also been recruiting him. And obviously the visit went well, the official visit that he took June 14th through the 16th. Um, it was, it made a big impressions on him and the people around him. And um, he just thought it was re- he was ready to end his commitment. And, and um, he thought that it was no better place than the University of Texas. Yeah, for sure. You know, whenever Chris Beer put this stat together, uh, it was very, um, you know, notable early on that he was putting together a basically an Avengers of recruiters. Um, you have some of the best recruiters in the country on this staff. Is Jaron Howard the best one? And if not, who would you say is? Uh, I wouldn't say Jarence is the best. You know, the, the best thing about that staff is, like, they're all great at different things. They have built different relationships over the years. You know, um, you know we're probably going to end up talking about this soon, but Texas is one of the favorites for Keontae George. And um, Yurik Malagai was the first to offer Keontae when he was back at Texas A&M. So, I mean, like, it's just a bunch of guys. It's a versatile staff with a bunch of guys that are great at, you know, just different things. But when it comes to recruiting, they know how to build the relationships early and just keeping uh, keep intact with the top talent, especially in the region. But they're also going to continue to do it in the country, and it's really paying off for them. And you're seeing it right now with um, the Arterio Morris commitment. Yeah, for sure. And you said something when you were talking about Arterio. You were saying um, Arterio possibly playing in a Texas uniform next fall. That's because this recruitment isn't over. Uh, you In the basketball side of things, you have to weather the storm of professional opportunities. How do you think that will play into, you know, his recruitment? And, you know, how do you kind of see things shaking out there? Absolutely. Well, I'm pretty sure that over time we'll continue to come on strong if they haven't already. Um, as we know, Arterio is one of the more marketable players in high school basketball right now. You can always catch him on, you know, overtime videos. Um, I think it's called Who's Next? Um, that, that partners with ESPN, Ball is Life, you name it, he's probably on it, um, which makes him more marketable as a prospect. And so I'm pretty sure that they're, they're going to be reaching out to him throughout his senior year at high school. And it'll be interesting to see if um, the NIL opportunities and what Texas has to offer um, could beat out, could beat out the overtime league. So it'll be interesting to see now from my end, I think um, right now the kid is focused on college and uh, focused on going to the university of Texas. So, um, but it'll still be interesting to see. Um, it will definitely be a battle. Um, so. Yeah. And that was a question I wanted to ask you with NIL being passed on July for being passed on July 1st, um, are, are college, are colleges able to pitch a little bit more than what, you know, some professional opportunities may have, or you, what have you kind of heard on that side of things? And, you know, are colleges more confident now 
that they can land, you know, these, these premier guys and, you know, not lose them to the pros? Uh, I'm not sure, but, you know, I would like to think so. Um, I would like to think that the NIL kind of like just damages the plans that overtime and potentially the G League may have in store just to say, you know, the chance of the top prospects in high school basketball attending college. But, you know, you know, kids are different. Some kids really want to do whatever it takes to get to the league quick. Some kids just um, want money just to market themselves without, you know, feeling any type of resistance from college or the NCAA, um, no matter if there's NIL um, name and name, image and likeness um, rules um, being lifted. But, you know, I still think that uh, coaches probably feel like they have a better opportunity to land these kids. Um, even though I'm not sure, I haven't really talked to coaches about that specifically, but like, you know, it's just a common sense thing. I think uh, that, that they would have a better chance of landing them. Yeah. And then moving forward in this 2022 class, I mean, Chris Beard and this Texas staff have set themselves up to, you know, have a monster class. Um, they had four guys in for official visits during the month of June. If I remember correctly, they had Arterio Morris, Keontae George, who we touched on already, you know, I have a crystal ball in for Texas. I feel really good about where Texas sits with Keontae George. I'll let you speak on that here in a bit as well. Kajani Wright also uh, made an official visit and then um, Anthony Black. Uh, so where do you kind of see Texas going from here? You know, are they going to look to take three guards and how many spots are they looking? Just how do you kind of feel about the Texas 2022 class moving forward? Uh, I think that it has a chance to be a really great class, um, possibly a top 10 class, maybe even a top five class. Um, in our in our national team ranking recruiting rankings when they uh, when they finalize out in like late May, um, in terms of like the prospects that they may be able to get, I think um, Texas can be a favorite to land the number one shooting guard in the country, which is Keontae George, top five player in the country, um, in a ridiculous score. Uh, I think the competition there will probably be you're looking at Baylor. I know Baylor's looking to make a strong push, obviously with them winning the national championship and the way they um, utilize their guards. You know, Baylor is definitely trying to pitch that. And um, I definitely think that they're on the hills of Texas. But, um, you know, Texas is Texas is a favorite right now. I would say they're in the lead for the Keontae George sweepstakes. Um, and then you mentioned Kajani Wright, who also took an official visit, I believe, on June the 9th through the 11th um, that weekend. Um, I could possibly be wrong with that, but I, whatever happened, took place on that visit, I know um, the kid and the people around him were also um, excited and happy um, with what Texas brought to the table in terms of them, who, who they were able to meet, um, what they saw in terms of practices and how they would use uh, Kajani within the system and just that balance of academics and athletics that, uh, pro that the program and the school provides. Um, so I know Kajani Wright thinks highly of Texas. I'm pretty sure the competition will probably be Stanford in USC, I would look at those two California schools um, to really make it hard for UT to land Kajani. Um, and then I, I think those are the main two. And then they've also just extended the offer to Isaac Trout. I'm pretty sure that they're trying to get involved with there, but uh, I would say Virginia's in the lead after he took his four official visits in the summer. And um, yeah, I think those, I think those right now are the main four. Am I missing one? I wanted to talk about Anthony Black a little bit more. Oh yeah. Chris Beard was hired. You know, that was a, a recruit that immediately came out and was very open about, uh, you know, Texas is in a really good spot right now. They're probably my top school. Just because of his relationship with Chris Beard, he knows him really well. He had a stepbrother that played for Beard at Texas Tech. But his recruitment has changed as he's gotten a lot better throughout the spring. Uh, you know, Gonzaga and Duke, they don't offer kids like that. And they offered Anthony Black. Uh, so his recruitment's going right. to be a national battle. I've lowered my crystal ball confidence to a three. I just, I don't see Texas ending up landing him in the end, but where, where do you see things happen? 
Yeah, for sure. I don't think this will probably be one that Texas wins, unfortunately. Um, and it's just not due, it's not due to the staff, like not recruiting them. Obviously the, the staff has been on them pretty hard. Um, like you said, he blew up. I mean, he cracked five-star status in our last um, 22 rankings update. Gonzaga and Duke have extended offers, but I think the program to really look out for is Big 12 for Oklahoma State. Um, I know that they're really pitching the Cade Cunningham, um, you know, comparison with them two just being big guards and being able to lead the offense. And I'm pretty sure that uh, Mike Boynton in his one of his last statements with uh, I think it was TV five reports. He said that Mike Boynton was recruiting them the hardest. So that's just a program to look out for. Obviously, Gonzaga um, with them, with their success right over the past. 20 years, however much you want to call it. Um, I'm pretty sure that they're going to be in there deep just due, due to their prestige. But I think, you know, the kid kind of factors in just him being close to home, him having the ball in his hands and being able to play the point guard position. He's really, he really is strong-minded on that position. And then also just, um, you know, whatever coaching staff sees value in him to try to get him to the level where he wants to be, which is the NBA. So I think Oklahoma State is really in there really well. Yeah, for sure. And then my last question I have about 2022 is, you know, there's been a lot of kids that have started to, you know, pick up some attention, pick up some exposure in these live periods that have been going on over the course of the last month. Coaching staffs have been able to see a ton of kids finally in person. You know, Texas has even handed out two or three 2022 offers in the last week or so. You know, what are some kids in the 22 class that you think, you know, Texas might, you know, enter the race either in the last couple of weeks or sometime soon and maybe even be a contender for it? For sure. Uh, off the top of my head, you know, the one person who uh, is kind of quiet with his recruitment right now during the summer is uh, Cameron Corhan off the Houston Hoops. Um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see um, just just where he leans. I think Illinois, Florida State and Houston are like all in the mix and trying to get him. And I know they're actively pursuing him um, with some intent. Um, I think he's one that, you know, it's not about his production today. He can end up being really, really good in the long term, um, just with his ability to shoot the basketball. So I know Texas has offered him um, probably in June, I believe, in like early parts of June. And I think they've been uh, somewhat active in their recruitment. Also, um, Khalil Ware, they're obviously bad. Uh, the kid out of Arkansas, five-star, seven-footer, who's extremely talented. Um, they'll be battling with Arkansas, Oregon, and I believe Illinois. I think he has, a, I think he has taken a visit with Illinois. Um, it, it'll probably be hard to keep the kid either out of Arkansas. I know, I know the kid really likes Oregon. So it'll be, it's up in the air with where Khalil Ware is leaning, but I know Texas is obviously recruiting those two, two big men in Khalil Ware and Cameron Corn. Gotcha. Man, I can't have you on here without asking about these transfers that have been coming in for Texas. <laughs> Chris Beard has been here as well. It's been really impressive. I think that's the one word I could point to as far as, you know, them identifying a guy going out and getting them, you know, without, you know, much struggle at all. And just kind of looking at the roster right now, and I, I know you talked to some sources in Austin and, you know, just from your personal perspective as well, is this team a top two, top three national team? And, you know, what are going to be the challenges now that you have all these guys on this team that, you know, can not only score really well, but, you know, handle the ball really well, facilitate rebound. I mean, you have a lot of guys that can do a lot of things really well. So how do you please everyone? Uh, for sure. And I think you, you just hit the nail on the head. Um, you know, they're definitely a top two, top three team on paper. Nobody can doubt that. You see all the names, see Marcus Carr, Timmy Allen, Devin Askew, the returners, Andrew Jones, Courtney Ramey. Um, you see the, all those guys on the same team. You're like, man, who, like, who's beating these guys? Obviously on paper. 
But um, I think the one thing that people are overlooking when you add so many new pieces, whether it be transfers, high school talent, uh, JUCO talent, however you get it, um, you know, players have to buy into their roles and star in them. And we're talking about seven and eight dudes who like were top three in their conference. Some of them were top three in their conferences in scoring. Marcus Carr is a 20 point per game score. Um, they were the primary options for their team. And now they all have to buy in together and, you know, take lesser roles just for the better, like just for the goal of winning. So it'll be interesting to see how long it takes for them to be able to play together and whatnot. Um, if they're able, if Chris Beard is able to manage, you know, egos and um, get them to buy into we culture, you know, I definitely see them as a team that could definitely make a final four run. Um, Cause like you said, on paper, top two, top three team in the country. Yeah, for sure. And then last question I have before we'll go ahead and get out of here. The big news of the last 24 hours has been the possibility of Texas and Oklahoma moving over to the SEC. How do you, how do you see this kind of affecting the hoop side of things? I, I read a tweet today that said, you know, if you're Scott Drew or Bill Self right now, you have to feel absolutely terrible about this news. So this would definitely, you know, throw a big wrench into the Big 12 basketball, you know, uh, success that we've seen over the course of the last three to four years. But for Texas specifically, how do you think that move would, you know, possibly change some things? Um, you know, I think the brand is so big, you know, it already moves weight itself. Um, but I definitely think it could provide another opportunity just for, uh, just for kids to prospective recruits, just to be flashed by something new, you know, like whenever they decide, um, whenever both parties decide when Texas makes the move to the SEC, if that is, if that is going to take place, you know, I'm pretty sure it's just like the the new factor will take place and kids will be intrigued just to play different schools from different conferences that they didn't think that they were going to play before. Um, in terms of the, in terms of basketball specifically, I mean, yes, yes. I'm pretty sure Scott Drew and Bill Self, it, it, it definitely puts a wrench to their plans. And also you're thinking about replacements if you're the big 12 and what could happen. Um, but I definitely don't think it's the end of the world because um, if there's one thing that this sport, the sport of college basketball has taught me um, is definitely that everybody adapts to change. And I don't think it will hurt the sport at all. I think it'll just bring a, a new factor to it. And so it'll definitely be interesting to see. I know in, in terms of Texas, uh, it'll probably be exciting to not only have recruiting battles with Kentucky, but also face them two times a year. So that would be interesting to see. Um, but I definitely don't think that it will be a big problem within both parties um, in terms of Texas and SEC, and then in terms of the Big 12 and what that move will do um, for both parties with the SEC and the Big 12. So. Um, I think everything will be okay. For sure, man. Well, hey, I really appreciate your time. Go ahead and tell the people how they can uh, see your work, whether it be on Twitter or on 24-7. Uh, for sure. If um, For any news or recruiting updates or, you know, just player updates on how they're performing at events, you can follow me at bjenkins247. Um, and then also just follow me on 24-7 sports backslash BB recruiting. Um, just to get the new news from me, myself, Deshaun London, Travis Branham, and our director of recruiting, Eric Bossman. Perfect, man. Well, hey, I appreciate your time. Like I said, it, it, Texas basketball fans, it seems like they're coming out of the woodworks now. So I feel like we're going to have to be doing this a little bit more. So uh, y'all hop on the bandwagon, and hopefully we'll have Brandon on a little bit more. But I appreciate it, man. Appreciate you. All right. And we want to thank Brandon Jenkins for getting together with Nick and uh, making that one happen. Um, a lot to be excited about on the 40 acres right now. 
uh, basketball chief among it. I mean, I, uh, nobody has, has grabbed the spotlight quicker than, than Chris Beard. So um, it looks like uh, it looks like they may even get me to watch an appreciable amount of basketball games next year with uh, some of the hype hype they've got going on. You know, Nick, I'll, I'll usually be like, is that guy good? The guy they just signed is he, can he shoot? That's typically my, my question is, can he shoot? So. Um, all right, we're going to jump right into the mailbag here. Uh, as always, you can get your mailbag questions over to us on the Orange 24-7 message board when we ask for them. Um, it is the return of the mailbag. We haven't done it in a while. Um, we're only going to be able to get to a couple of the questions. So um, I believe there's 26 replies on the thread. We're obviously not going to answer 26 questions here, but we're going to try to filter through and get to the best ones we, we can um, and if you want to, if you want to do that and you want to join in on this portion of the podcast, the best way to do it is to become a Horns 24 seven message board poster, a Horns 24 seven subscriber. And, uh, usually about an hour or two before we put the show up, I will, um, or before we start to reply, I will, uh, put a, a thread up asking, uh, anybody for mailbag questions and you can add them on there. All right. From Horns fan, seven, six, one, two, who do you like more as a prospect? Uh, Jalen Gilbo or Austin Jordan and is Alabama opening up a lead with Denver Harris um, I would say this on Gilbo and Jordan I think Gilbo's film and his performance on the field has been better than Jordan I think Jordan probably has a better athletic package for the future so a little more upside um, it's kind of splitting hairs I would kind of probably have them similarly ranked and then Alabama with Denver Harris They've always been in a power position. I think Texas and, and Alabama are the clear two top schools. Alabama's a little more proven. Texas is probably going to have to prove it on the field a little more. Um, but I don't think this one's over by any means. Who do I like more as a prospect, Gilbo or Jordan? I'm going to have to go with Gilbo. Um, I think I just really like his cover skills. Every time I see him, he's, you know, really consistent. Um, Austin Jordan, a little bit more on the inconsistent side. But when he is on, he is, you know, a really good cover guy. Uh, moves really well so um but i'd have to go with gilbo by a slight edge and is alabama opening up a lead with denver harris you know kind of like mike said alabama has they have an, a great pitch um uh, to harris you know they've had a, a lot of winning recently in case you haven't noticed and texas is gonna have to prove a lot on the field again like mike said but is it different from where it was probably a month ago i wouldn't say so um all right our next question comes to us from our sir to 29 uh do you do you think Texas is a fit for the SEC putting aside money? As I kind of talked about earlier, yeah, I do. I think that if you're this big brand and you're a college blue blood and you want to go uh, to the next step, you've got to be involved in this move. You've got to be where the move is for this is going to change college football. Texas should probably be at the center of that if they feel they are the brand that they think they are. So I do feel they are a fit in that way. I think that Culturally, probably not as much as they are with the Pac-12 or the Big Ten or even the ACC. But I think that a lot of that's changing. I mean, I think when you look at, um, you know, on the academic side, Texas probably doesn't like what the SEC has to bring to the table. But on the athletic side, when you look at Chris Del Conte's vision, um, the, the coaches he's hired and the way they're trying to revive these programs, I think that they would love to play like SEC athletic programs. Yeah, yeah, I was having a conversation with Colin Kennedy from our OU site um, about this yesterday. Um, and while I, on paper, I'm all for it, you know, Texas to the SEC, Texas and OU to the SEC, I think would be, you know, phenomenal. 
Um, but I'm not sure how they would fare competitively. And then that's something I would, you know, need to look at over the course of the next couple of seasons to, you know, evaluate more clearly. But the way I see it right now, if Texas and OU entered the, um, uh, the, the SEC right now, they'd probably be like the fifth and seventh best teams in the conference, if you were asking me, you know, personally. But uh, so competitively, I don't know. But uh, as far as culturally, again, that's, a, that's another I don't know. There would be a lot of things that would, you know, need to shift from, you know, the SEC and Texas and OU. It would be definitely uh, a marriage of kind of two different people that, you know, kind of assimilate on some things. So I've seen those marriages work before. I'm not so sure about that, uh, especially with Oklahoma right now. I think Oklahoma's roster is built where they could be among the best in any conference. Um, I, I really do. I think that especially like depending on what the West looks like, if if they made the move in Alabama and Auburn pushed east and, and it was – you know, the proposed thing I saw was like Texas, um, Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, Arkansas, LSU, Missouri. You're telling me Oklahoma can't win the, the West in that conference and, and then go on and challenge whoever comes out of the East. Texas isn't there yet, not by any means. They hope to be. But even if you're in the Big 12 and you want to win a national title, you're going to have to go through SEC teams to do it. So, I mean – to me, I understand that the conference schedule will beat you up a little more and limit your chances there, but this is the future of football. It's going to be super conferences. You're going to have to get into one or another, and eventually you're going to have to beat a big boy to win. So I think that I, I, the, the competitive part doesn't bother me nearly as much. Um, all right, from uh, Irish Longhorn 12, how's Texas sitting with Dalton Brooks? The 2023 uh, safety from Shiner. I think Texas has kind of always been a, a bit of a favorite in that one. It seems like Dalton grew up really liking Texas. His cousin is Jonathan Brooks, who's on the team. Um, I would say Nick probably knows more than I do because he's talked to Dalton more. But um, I would say maybe Texas, Texas, Texas A&M and M, and maybe Alabama, just because they're Alabama and they've recruited him earlier. Probably the schools to look at with him. Yeah, exactly. That's the three ideal schools that you know we're going to keep an eye on when. It- comes to Dalton Brooks, but I think Texas is in such a good position that they would have to almost try to mess it up to, to possibly not land him. And hey, we've seen that happen before, and there's a long time before he, he would sign. So uh, another thing to really keep in mind is um, he has a very close cousin of his, Jonathan Brooks, that is on campus um, and is, you know, seeing these coaches every day and most likely giving him feedback directly. Um, so it's, it's also going to kind of Keep, keep an eye on Jonathan Brooks and how happy he is to maybe that's probably going to be Dalton's perception. But um, the family grew up a Texas family, uh, not too far from Austin, you know, uh, both Howitzville and Shiner. Um, so it, right now, Dalton Brooks to Texas, you know, looking pretty good, but it's not over by any means. From Longhorn fan 815, who's more likely at this point, Harris or Perkins? Uh, and also will Jaden Blue be playing this fall in your opinion? I'll tell you what, if you talk to the people near Harold Perkins, they will tell you that Texas is in a fantastic spot with Harold Perkins. I don't know if I can quite buy in on it yet, just me being a cynic, but um, man, I, I may, I may say Perkins out of those two. I, I don't it'd probably be pretty close, but I might say Perkins. Um, also, will Jaden Blue be playing in the fall in your opinion? I think I would probably lean slightly towards yes. Um, a lot of it's, still being worked out, but I think that he's open to doing that. And that's like the first big step. Uh, Who's more likely at this point, Harris or Perkins? Yeah. Like Mike said, uh, we're being very cautious with our Perkins optimism at this point, but you know, we're talking to multiple people 
um, close to, uh, you know, Harold Perkins that are saying that Texas is in an ideal spot. And it's because of the role that they're pitching him on. Um, you know, we've talked about it a little bit on Horns 24-7. I want to be able to dive into it a little bit more right here since we can. But that star role where he can play, you know, anywhere from safety to an outside linebacker, inside linebacker, and even go out and play nickel and corner, uh, it's something that he's really, really interested in. And no other school is pitching him on that. Uh, Texas A&M and LSU are pitching him as an inside linebacker almost, you know, specifically. Um, so he, he wants to be able to cover the field. I think the only thing he's kind of waiting on to see is, you know, on-field production. And, you know, this is why his commitment is going to be pushed out to January is because he wants to see, you know, how these teams are performing uh, with the roles that, you know, they're pitching him on. So it's definitely going to be one to, to watch, but I would, I would also probably have to say Perkins, but that doesn't necessarily mean that the race for Denver Harris is over. And also will Jadon Blue be playing in the fall in your opinion? I think yes. Uh, you know, if I had to put money down, I would say yes. I don't really know anything too much that's more Mike's, you know, uh, um, guy, but um, I would say yes. All right, from Nate17, at this stage, should we reset expectations that this class will be a 15 to 20 ranked class? Um, unless Anderson Campbell comes the way it's, uh, they're heading towards no high impact recruits. I think that's baloney. Um, excuse my language. I think it's baloney. Um, I think that um, to me, I, I think that outside of Anderson and Campbell, you've still got guys like Evan Stewart, Brendan Thompson. There are still a lot of big name recruits on the boards. And I think that where things stand right now could potentially be a lot different versus where things stand um, in the grand scheme of things, if they have a good fall. Um, and I know that the staff feels confident about that. Um, I know that um, I think at this point, I would still say that they, they, they have every ability to be a top 10 class. Yeah, I think the worst this could get is a number 12 class. I think that's probably a reasonable, you know, floor for them. Um, you know, and if they do miss out on Bryce Anderson and or Denver Harris and or Harold Perkins, like you said, there's still the Devon Campbells and the Evan Stewarts of the world. And, you know, they're still trying to, you know, stay in play for some other, you know, high tier recruitments. I mean, there's a, a linebacker out in Utah, um, it's going to be taking an official visit in, in September. And, you know, that's a high ranked four-star guy that could definitely bump up a class ranking. So uh, no, I don't think 15 to 20 is 15 to 20 would mean that they're recruiting on the level that Tom Herman and that staff was recruiting on last year. And that's just not the case. I don't think anyone would agree that that's been happening. So, because uh, this time last year, we were looking at some very low tier three-star offensive tackles that were just, you know, barely scraping by on commitments and sometimes losing them to Baylor and some other, some other schools. So I, I would say above 15 is definitely realistic. Yeah. I want to stay on that just for one second. I wrote something at the top 24 seven release um, about where Texas stands with uncommitted targets. And when you look at just the overall conversation of that, right, Evan Stewart at number nine, uh, they're in the race for Harold Perkins, who's in the top 20. They're in the race for Denver Harris, who's in the top 30. Um, you know, maybe they uh, maybe they can get into the race with Amaria Boer, who's, who's visiting on the 30th. And if things go well, they can get into that race. The, the conversations that they are legitimately in on right now are way different than they were last year. Last year, it was very much, there's no way they get those guys. Not saying that they're the favorite for these guys now, but they're very much in the conversation. And I think that um, that's changed completely. I think that people are too doom and gloom on recruiting right now. I really do. I, um, 
I think that we should wait. I mean, you should wait and see kind of what this cycle looks like and, and kind of how it shapes up coming out of this. Um, from Casey67, do you think CDC was thinking about the move to the SEC when he hired Sark? In other words, did he want a guy with a proven track record in that conference? Um, I guess what I'm really asking is how long this has been the works. From my understanding of talking to people who know about it, um, it's been the works for a while. I don't know that that necessarily motivated him with Sark. I think that they probably wanted to hire the best football coach they could, regardless of what conference they were going to be in. And they, they thought Sark was that guy. I don't know if that was necessarily the SEC, but I think since the day Del Conte's arrived, he's probably had these type of visions in his head. Yeah, I don't have, you know, too much to say on this topic, but, um, you know, CDC, I think is always kind of working towards, you know, making the university better and, um, realignment is kind of in the back of every athletic director's mind, even before yesterday. So uh, I'm sure when it came to hiring a new head coach, um, I don't know if it was necessarily his pitch, but he definitely had that in the back of his mind when choosing the guy. So. All right. Um, let's see here. Our next question uh, from UT fan 29, will Jalen Waddle finally commit to Texas in the sec? He might've at that point. Um uh, if Texas moves to the SEC, what class would that impact more, 21 or 22? I mean, well, 21's already signed. <laughs> 22 is a couple months from being signed. It would all depend on the timing um, in, in those types of things. Um, and so I think that uh, for me, um, let's say they do it in the 23 season. I, I think probably the 23 and 24 classes would benefit from it the most. Yeah, I think he meant to actually say 22 or 23, in which case it would definitely probably be 23, just because not necessarily 22 is already wrapped up and done, but I mean, it's so far along ahead and, you know, the, the conference shift, I don't think is going to happen by the time 22 um, signs. So the 23 and 24 classes are probably going to have the most impact here. All right. Um, from Horns247, would landing Arch Manning be the most significant commitment in Texas football history? No, it would. Vince Young, it, it, I mean, unless Arch Manning came in, was everything we think he's going to be, had led Texas to multiple national championships, I find it hard to top Vince Young. Um, would it be the most significant commitment for Texas in recent history? Absolutely. I mean, it would be a, a potentially program-changing commitment, uh, not only on the field, but just, uh, you know, image and and – the way people look at them. So I think that uh, Vince Young still gets to hold that spot. I'm going to ruffle some feathers here. This would be the third most significant commitment in Texas football history. Number one would be Vince Young, just because he was a composite, you know, number one overall player, uh, you know, unanimous, whatever the word you want to call number one player. And he changed the program, uh, you know, and shifted it to, you know, a, a blue blood program. Not that it wasn't before, but it, it really picked up, you know, momentum in the 2000s when Vince Young came over and started winning some games. And I think the second most significant commitment was probably Quinn Ewers. Even Don't though say it, it. Even though it No, didn't. it doesn't count. It doesn't count because he didn't sign. I mean, I'm just saying commitment here, not, not signature. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. Like, okay. you can't – I mean, when you're talking about the significance on a program, you have to look at if they actually contribute to the team, okay. in my yeah, opinion. Yeah. That's fair. That's fair. The Narch Manning would be second. <laughs> okay. Um, let's see. We'll go to the last page here. Last question. How would you characterize Sark's and staff's recruiting so far? Good, about right, bad, need more time to evaluate. I would say it's a combination of B and D. 
um, about right and need more time to evaluate. Um, they faced, and I've written about it many times, but they face a lot more challenges here than they did, than Herman's staff did when they initially came in. Um, there's a lot more competition. And so I think that we definitely need to see how it shakes out at the end. And that I think they're about right on schedule for where I expected them at this point. Yeah, I um, I think there may have been a little bit of shock, um, you know, in, uh, probably after the first couple of months um, about maybe how hard it is to recruit at the University of Texas. I think that's probably fair to say. So B&D is definitely, um, you know, a pretty good answer there. B being about right because, you know, they've done, you know, as much as they could to this point in recruiting, you know, some high-level targets. Sure, they've missed out on a couple, but, you know, that, that, that stuff happens and needing more time to evaluate, you know, that's also going to be pretty crucial because, you know, they have a season coming up where they'll be able to put a lot of this product onto the field. So um, we'll just have to sit and wait on that. All right. And that's going to do it. Um, we appreciate all you guys for chipping in on the mailbag. Nick, anything you want to add before we get out of here today? Uh, no, nothing, nothing too crazy. Um, just gonna, I, it's kind of crazy because in three weeks from tomorrow, I'm going to be heading to my first high school football game. So I realized that yesterday, um, the season is coming. Yeah. And, um, I'm actually, by the time you hear this, I'm going to release my schedule on the website. So, uh, my schedule will be up on the site today as you're hearing this tomorrow is as we're posting it. So I uh, look forward to that. All right. For uh, Nick Harris, I'm Mike Roach. We appreciate all you guys for listening and we'll see you next week.